Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. My name is Bo Nicholson and I'm joined as always by Kieran Gibson and Miles Stedman as we give out the Above the Horizontal awards for round six, discuss Stephen Kearney's sacking, pay tribute to Noel Kelly, give Peter Volandis the blueprint for expansion and give our bold predictions for round seven. But before all that, let's jump into our first quiz question. It's quiz time, and remember, no cheating. Question one. Which club won the very first NSWRL Premiership way back in 1908? Be sure to listen on for the rest of the questions and for the answers. And now it's time for the Above the Horizontal Awards. All right, welcome to Above the Horizontal. We're going to dive straight into the awards for round six. Uh, my name is Bo Nicholson. I'm joined tonight by Kieran Gibson and Miles Stebman, as always. Uh, gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you on board. I'm going to jump straight into who had the best bowl prediction from last week. Now, mine was that the Cowboys would finish with 15 players or less. Uh, against the Tigers. They did have an injury to Kyle Felt, uh, which gave me some hope in a weird, perverse kind of way. Uh, (laughs) But I believe that was the only injury. So uh, they finished with 16, and I'm not correct with my bold prediction. Kieran, you predicted three upsets. How did you go? Uh, I had uh, ended up well with what I consider two upsets. Um, But yeah, the Bulldogs went mightily close to closing out the round and finishing up with three upsets. But yeah, one one game short, unfortunately. So, Miles, you you disagreed with that. You thought that they, he actually did achieve three upsets when the Roosters beat the Eels. Well, look, I think any time the the team at the top of the standings gets beaten, it can be considered somewhat of an upset. But yes, obviously the Roosters have been excellent in the past few weeks. So. Um, uh, I don't think it was an official upset, if you will, with the the book, bookies. Yes, of course, uh, and we uh, we don't we're not a, a gambling uh, podcast, so we don't condone that, of course. But Kieran, according to those bookmakers, uh, I think it was just the two upsets. Let's call it two and a half. And Miles, <laughs> uh, yours was that the Cowboys debutant Connolly Lemuelu would score two tries. Uh, how'd that work out for you? It didn't, unfortunately, for you guys. <laughs> look, I, I, I did get you two tries on the other wing, so um, maybe I can take that in a in some sort of weird roundabout way. But no, unfortunately, zero <laughs> tries for for Connolly this week. Maybe next week. Yeah, uh, two tries to uh, Kyle Felt, uh, one of the Cowboys' top try scorers ever, and. Uh, is he leading the try scorers this year for the competition? He's up there anyway. Uh, not the boldest prediction. Uh, I can't give you that one, I'm afraid. I think we're going to have to. <laughs> I think we're going to have to go with Kieran again on this one for two and a half upsets uh, out of three. Pretty good effort. Uh, Kieran, that's two weeks in a row you've beaten us <laughs> with the uh, bold prediction. So uh, I've, got a, I've got a beauty lined up for you guys later on. Let's jump into the rest of the above the horizontal awards for round six. Best match. Uh, for me personally, guys, I really enjoyed the Sea Eagles versus the Raiders. I'm loving what the Sea Eagles are dishing up this year, and I love watching a gritty victory like that. So it seems like Des Hasler has that team humming. Uh, Miles, what was your match of the round? That was a, a great match, no doubt. But my best match of the round was Sharks versus Bulldogs. Uh, I really felt this game. Uh, and what I mean by that is that 
you could almost really feel the tension in the air between these two teams. Obviously, the, the two coaches under an immense amount of pressure. And you you really think that as, as much as you kind of did want the Bulldogs to win for Dean Pay, you you really, or at least I really would have felt for John Morris, the Sharks that have lost that, the death. It would have been a really cruel blow to his coaching tenure. So I thought that was highly entertaining in a gladiatorial uh, sense of the word. I also enjoyed that game and good luck to Dean Pay with the uh, Bulldogs board meeting coming up on Thursday. Uh, hopefully he can continue his career. Uh, best match for you this round, Kieran? Um, I've gone with uh, probably the people's or the maybe the most obvious choice, the Roosters versus Eels. Um, and just when the Eels hit the front, I really loved how the Roosters' bounce-back attitude was as if to say, we'll show you why we are actually the best team in the NRL, not you and why. Um, and I think, well... Definitely, Graham Annesley came out and said, and I agree that uh, the game had an origin-like intensity. It was um, it was brilliant for for a top of the table or the two best teams that I think uh, the two best teams in the NRL. Um, I thought it lived up to to uh, pre-game hype. And they actually seemed stronger when James Tedesco went off the field, which is uh, quite a remarkable thing. But more on that again. later. Yes, again, exactly. Uh, but more on that later. Best moment of the round uh, for me was seeing Xavier Coates, uh, as I pronounce it, or Xavier Coates, if that is correct. I'm, I apologize, Xavier. I did try and reach out to you on Instagram to get clarification, but you ignored me. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go with Xavier Coates for the time being. Uh, I loved seeing him in open field streaking away to score the Broncos' only try. Uh, the Telstra tracker had him as moving the fastest of all the players in the competition so far this year. And I think there's a lot to like about this kid. Uh, so that's my best moment of the round. Kieran, what was yours? I had uh, what was your best match for the reason that I thought the Sea Eagles effort, um, albeit, uh, albeit being against a below-par Raiders side, I thought it was ultra-impressive. Um, they had a depleted team and still didn't give an inch to their opposition all game. So that was my best moment, watching them to uh, go to and fro with one of the best in the competition with, I think, seven players out that they probably would have had in their starting side. Including three in the match. Uh, incredible stuff. Uh, Miles, what was your best moment of the round? My best moment was that game also, actually, uh, that Kieran just mentioned. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic win for the Seagulls. They lost obviously the best player in, in Tom Trevojevic, but also a few others there along the way, in addition to the players they were already missing, and they still ground out that win. It was, um, I thought it was a very unsilver tails like performance. It was very workmanlike, and um, I think it was uh, Des Hasler or, or some, I can't remember who it, exactly it was, called it uh, the Seagulls' best win um, in their history. And it's obviously a big call considering the team's won a number of grand finals, but still uh, certainly a great regular season win. Okay. Like I'm, I've been a, a Sea Eagles fan, not my favourite team, but a fan of theirs for a couple of decades, and uh, it's hard to recall a more gritty victory. So uh, who am I to argue with Des Hasler? Uh, the worst <laughs> moment of the round, uh, as a Cowboys fan, but also as a rugby league fan, it was devastating seeing Zane Musgrave, uh, Musgrove, sorry, uh, score in the opening couple of minutes. Uh, one of the softest examples of goal line defence that I can think of. Uh, and it was indicative of the fact that the Cowboys just did not turn up and shortly the score was 34-0 against the Tigers who really would be struggling to make the top eight. So uh, the Cowboys' ambitions for this season uh, aren't looking good and Paul Green's coaching stocks are also not looking good. 
Uh, Miles, what was your worst moment? Well, actually, my worst moment was also my best moment, and that was the fact that the Seagulls lost so many damn players in the weekend. And look, it's it's obviously you know you never want to see anyone get injured, um, but uh, look, obviously the big one for the rest of the competition is Tom Dubrovich. He's such an exciting player. I, I think he's generally, despite being a Seagull, is generally well liked and um, one of the most exciting players in the league right now. So I think it's it's devastating, obviously, for Seagulls, but. Um, for the league to lose him for probably an extended period of time. And look, it's, um, you know, I hate to bring it up, but it's the, the, I think about the third time in the last three seasons that this sort of thing has happened. So, you know, you could be looking at um, potentially a, an abbreviated career. I hate to say it. It would be a, a true loss for rugby league. The good news is, though, that the Seagulls might be used to playing without Tom Trevojevic, and hopefully they can get a few wins to get them into the top, like, say, six uh, come finals time, and and Tommy will be there to help them out. Hopefully for the Sea Eagles. Uh, Miles, oh, sorry, not Miles. You just gave me yours. Kieran, what was your worst <laughs> moment? Uh, I probably shouldn't go on about this too much more, but I, I still had it as the the worst moment of the round. So I'm gonna talk about it anyway. I had Fox coverage of um, Latrell Mitchell Mitchell in the dressing room after the game. Um, oh. I just don't understand. Yeah, yeah, why they have cameras uh in, in the sheds and unless it's bennett getting around the boys after a big win um we don't really need to see it um just in reference to to bennett and the rabbitos players after they beat the broncos last year obviously that was awesome watching that and all the memes that were made of it but if it's for if it's gonna bring negative things up like how it did on friday night uh it's it's not worth it, it needs to be scrapped I, I totally agree with you. I, I actually thought that the, the line of questioning in the press conference was okay because it was there. It was public knowledge. What's going on there? The way Wayne Bennett handled that, I thought was really good. Just shut it down. Uh, but the way that Fox continued yeah. it afterwards, that was the real thing, wasn't it? Corey Parker and Brandy mm. Alexander and those guys. It was disgusting, I thought. Well, it wasn't even well thought out. Like I think if in hindsight, if you went back and asked them, they'll happily... Well, maybe not happily, but they'll definitely admit that they were wrong, or at least they should have uh, thought a bit more about what they were saying, um, because yeah, it did come across as very distasteful and entitled behaviour. Uh, but someone that is entitled to celebrate their actions is Branko Lee, who scored my version of the try of the round. Uh, not necessarily because of anything that he did, but it was a tremendous double-pumped bullet cutout pass from Cameron Munster playing on the right side of the field which gives him the best try of the round award from me. Uh, Miles, what was your best try of the round? Look, my best try of the round, uh, I'm, I'm glad you didn't go with the boat so that we all didn't go with it, but I thought for sure that a few of us might choose the Mike Acevo running over the top of James Tedesco try. And, and look, we, I think, again, James Tedesco is, despite being on a uh, one of the more hated teams, one of those guys that we generally like as a rugby league fan base, but... I think there's a certain amount of, uh, maybe not schadenfreude, but um, tall, pop, tall poppy syndrome, rather, uh, in seeing uh, one of the best players, if not the best player in the league, get motored over the top of for a, an awesome try for the Eels there. So that was my best try of the round. It was, uh, it was a real throwback, uh, seeing a, a big bulking Eels winger score a try. More on that later. Uh, Kieran, what was your try of the round? <laughs> I had I had Sebo versus Roosters as well, and uh, just to add a little bit more, I thought um, Miles actually Miles man Michael Jennings. Um, I thought that could the best assist of the round should go to Jennings uh, for oh. his involvement in that play. Yeah, yeah beat Manu Flanagan. 
Uh, yeah, and then uh, Beemoz with a brilliantly hidden one-armed pass to Sebo. So, I, yeah, that was just for someone of his age. And I, he kind of fizzles in and out of form a lot. Um, that was just awesome. As a quick digression, Miles, when we named when you named your Blues team for later in the year, you had Jennings in there. Uh, you'd be well pleased to see that particular try assist, I'm sure. Well, all I'll say is more on Jennings later. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Uh, MVP of the round, gentlemen. Uh, mine is Nathan Cleary. Uh, who did everything asked of him with the composure of someone 10 years his senior to essentially beat the Storm twice in one match. Uh, excellent game from the young Blues half as he races uh, pretty good opposition for that number seven jersey at the end of the year. Kieran, who was your MVP? Uh, nothing, no further words. I had Nathan Cleary for all those reasons you just stated. Um, yeah, another I'm great glad, performance. I'm glad we agree. Uh, Miles, MVP. Well, funnily enough, I've gone Luke Keary, and for all those exact sentiments, I mean, I think you could actually kind of change Cleary to Keary there and, and have basically the exact same description of Keary's game. So you'd be hard-pressed to, to not see those two in the Blues halves this year. Yes, or do they go with Keary at halfback and have someone like Whiten at 5'8"? There's going to be a lot of uh, tricky uh, judgment calls for the Blues selectors to make at the end of the year. Uh, Luke Keary's in undeniable touch as well. The Matt Singer Award for the best try saver. Uh, I usually go with something a little bit abstract, but uh, this time I'm, I'm going to go with one that really impressed me. Uh, Emmerich Gula from the Raiders, a big body, close to the line. Uh, the Seagulls are depleted with injuries. Daily Cherry Evans pulls off an, a hip throw one-on-one effort uh, to pull him down one meter out from the line. Now, he probably gives away 15 or 20 kilos to Gula, uh, and that particular try saver... Uh, was, I thought, indicative of, of the efforts that uh, his team was making and, and a real captain's knock from DCE there. Uh, Miles, who wins your Matt Singer Award for best try saver? Well, I've gone with um, someone even littler than Daly Cherry Evans, and that's Dylan Brown. He, um, uh, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was. That he, in fact, I think it might have been Luke Keary that he wrapped up as he was uh, sprinting towards the try line. And I love to see a great try saver from a little man like Dylan Brown. So, especially when he's your half. So, I thought that was a great, great try saver. And unfortunately, it didn't go the Eels' way. But that was really impressive. Hasn't he got a future on him, Dylan Brown? Just 19 years old in his second year of first grade footy, and, and really, uh, really carving out some good performances for the Eels. Uh, Kieran, matching award for you. Uh... I had I had Dylan Brown as well. Um, that's his he's he's been making a name for himself at uh, try saving tackles where he has to run almost the length of the field to get back and and deny the opposition. Um, he did it against the Storm last year, I recall. I think in the finals when they were already well beaten. Um, it might have even been in like the last uh, maybe I'm making this up, but the last five ten minutes it was in that game. But anyway, it just shows the effort that he's. Uh, prepared to put in and for such a young player that's something you really like to see as a fan something i'd like to see as a fan is uh dylan brown's birth certificate saying somewhere in queensland uh but i don't think it <laughs> i don't think it is the case uh the greg inglis award for deserving to have Not their license could pull that well, off oh, <laughs> yeah everywhere's queensland is what I like to say. <laughs> just wherever we'll take him uh the, the greg inglis award for deserving to have their license revoked that it's quite a contentious one sometimes. For me, this week, the people responsible for the timing of the decision against Stephen Kearney when all is considered 
for shame and your license is revoked. You can no longer sack coaches as far as I'm concerned. They're done. Uh, Miles, who wins your Greg Inglis Award for deserving to have their license revoked? I've gone with uh, the collective Storm Right Edge for uh, maybe moving um, a collective one metre in watching Viliami Kikau steam through and score that game-winning try for the Panthers. That was oh. that was really unbelievable. I mean, uh, I'm not kidding. They might have moved maybe like a, a collective one metre in trying to stop that drive. You can even call it trying to stop it. It was just a disgraceful um, lack of judgment error, lack of effort, call it what you want. It was um, it was really bad. I think they need to kind of shake up that side of the field. Well, as the interesting thing about that from memory was that they... The, the players that were nearby seemed to be more focused on trying to get in position to block than actually try and make a play for the ball, uh, if I'm remembering the same try, uh, which yep, is pr- probably a blight on the on the modern game, if, if I do say so myself. Uh, I have nearly the entire Cowboys squad um, <laughs> for having their NRL contracts revoked. Um, <laughs> But if, if I had to pick one in all seriousness, I think what Miles just said uh, would would take take the, the award for me this week. All right, sounds good. The Cradle to the Grave Award for Commitment to the Thug Life uh, given to a player that delivers the big hits consistently or keeps setting up from those big hits to, to deliver a, a heroic performance. For me, this week, Matt Moylan is a, is a player that... Uh, for some reason, I just don't... I can't get around. I don't know what it is about Matt Moylan. He's a, he's a fantastically talented player. Uh, I, I really had big raps on his skill set, but he, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that I can get around. So, seeing Dallin Wateni's Lesniak give him whiplash was one of the highlights of the week for me. I loved that big hit. It was fantastic. So, DWZ, you get the Cradle to the Grave award from me. Kieran, who gets your award for commitment to the thug wife? Uh, I have DWZ hit on Moylan for the exact same reason. Um, yes. A player I like a lot against a player I don't like very much at all. Um, oh, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, delicious. Miles, can you make it a three-peat? Look, I, I can't, but I can oh. um, I can tell you I'm, I'm reliably informed from some friends up north that that hit made uh, American Sports Center. So if that's ah. not thug life, I don't know what is. Um, they must be really starved for some sport up there. But look... Uh, I, I would have loved to have given it to DWZ, but I've gone for uh, Tavita Pangai uh, and his hit on David Klemmer. Uh, it was his oh, first yes. game for the year, um, uh, young Tavita Pangai, and to, to go up against one of the, the scariest guys in the league like that, I thought it was really impressive. So I'm going to give uh, Tavita my uh, Thug Life Award. Underrated from TPJ, he uh, he played 80 minutes the other night after, not as you say, not playing for a long time. Uh, a really good effort from him. Uh, good work to him indeed. Uh, the Unsung Hero Award uh, goes to someone that we feel doesn't get the plaudits that maybe they deserved for a fantastic effort. And for me, that's Isaiah Yo from the Panthers, who spent 80 minutes in the middle against the Storm, uh, continuously tackling anyone who came his way and backing up for tough meters when no one else would. Uh, there's a lot to like about Isaiah Yo and... Uh, I think I think he's captaincy material. I think he's captain a few times for the Panthers, but he's really showing a lot of leadership in that forward pack there. And the, and the Panthers are in, are in good stead if he can stay fit. Miles, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is, as I alluded to earlier, Michael Jennings. Uh, you guys will know that I, I picked him for my State of Origin Blues team 
uh, a little bit earlier. Um, and he's he's certainly not proven me an idiot with all these fantastic games he's been playing lately. He's aging like a fine wine. Um, and look, he's uh, I'll admit he's probably not going to be there. He's he's probably not quite in Freddie's age calculations. But look, if I was a selector, I'd be certainly looking at him right now. I'd tell you what, as just to add to your uh, comments about Jennings probably being like right up there, the the two best left centers in the game at the moment are probably. Michael Jennings and Josh Morris. Like if you uh, like maybe Bradman Best, <laughs> maybe, maybe Bradman Best, but he sort of goes against what I'm trying to say. So um, <laughs> yeah, a fine unsung hero indeed. Uh, Kieran, who's yours? Well, yeah, Josh Josh Morris um, is definitely oh. unsung hero. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's obviously still held in a in a high regard, but I, I still don't think he quite gets the the reps he deserves and. I think that he's benefited benefited from that kind of mentality, just going about his work and not worrying about who gets the plaudits. And uh, on Saturday, up against Wonga Blake, he finished the game with a try assist, 174 run meters, six tackle breaks, and plenty of other impressive stats that for for someone of his age, and some might even say ability, he, he just punches well above his weight and proves that he can still do it in the NRL and even at an elite level. I'll never forget when he when he did his ACL in that Origin game and he, he kept getting up to make tackles against blokes like Greg Inglis as he was heading towards the sideline. It was just, uh, that's the kind of career that Josh Morris has had. Uh, at the Aaron Woods Award for never going out of fashion, I couldn't think of a worse winger than Aaron Woods. Uh, the, giant, <laughs> the giant winger bumping the smaller fullback into oblivion. Aaron Gro- Eric Groth Sr. made a habit of it with his physique and unique running style in the 80s. And there was a bit of deja vu for me as another Eels winger did the same thing to James Tedesco. Mike Acevo could do worse than model his game on Groth Sr., but he could uh, really have a bit of a downfall if he models his social media presence on Eric Groth Jr. So the Aaron Woods Award <laughs> goes to Mike Acevo. Uh Kieran, who wins your Aaron Woods Award for never going out of fashion? I've got I've got Re- Victor Radley and uh, post quality post or quality post match interviews. Um, oh, yes. just <laughs> served up another beauty on on Saturday night, calling out um, Cooper Cronk as his old stiff teammate and uh, and weighing up on his long awaited break to break the NRL bubble and head to the pub. Um, and it just adds to the long list of interviews he's already got that are just yeah. Oh, hilarity every time. He's a fantastic personality, isn't he? Uh, Miles, who is your Aaron Woods award winner for never going out of fashion? Well, I wanted to give um, these guys my unsung hero award, but they've had to settle for second best, I think. Um, and that's the, the the Morris twins, or as they're uh, collectively known, they're collectively now the Morai. Um, <laughs> they're fantastic <laughs> wherever they go, um, as they've proven over the past few years. And, Look, I think there was a point where probably the NRL was kind of shunning them a little bit and saying, well, maybe you're a bit old and it's time to bring through some younger centres. But look, the the Roosters have picked them up um, or picked one up last year and the other up this year. And it's proven that it's absolutely not about age in this sport. It's about commitment and doing the, the little things right. And uh, I think the Morai have proved that from their debut and um, through this uh, age 34 season, I think it is, that they're both in. 
Thanks very much, gentlemen. That is the end of the Above the Horizontal Awards for round six. Uh, stick around. We're going to have uh, a short quiz, uh, question number two, and then we're going to come back with the big question this week. Was sacking Stephen Kearney the right call? It's time for another question. And remember, no cheating. Question two. James Tedesco was the winger in the West Magpies' Harold Matthews team in his junior years. Which current West Tiger was the fullback? Stick around for another question, and of course the answers. And now it's time for the big question. Welcome back to Above the Horizontal. My name is Bo Nicholson. I'm joined, as always, by Kieran Gibson and Miles Stedman. And we are about to dive into the big question this week, which is, was sacking Stephen Kearney the right call? Now, this is a decision that took the rugby league world by storm because, realistically, there were a lot of coaches that had their heads on the chopping block seemingly before Stephen Kearney did. If, if you were making betting odds at round four about which coach was going to get sacked. You'd be looking at guys like Paul McGregor. You're looking at guys like Dean Pay, John Morris, Paul Green. Anthony Seabold's had his name thrown around even on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but Stephen Kearney was the one to get the sack. And gentlemen, I've, I've got to ask you, was it the right call? I'll start with you, Miles. Look, I think Stephen Kearney should have been sacked years ago. Um, he's not gotten the Warriors team anywhere, I don't think. Uh, but look... It, I think we all recognize that this is a different year. And I think it's a little bit of a maybe unspoken or unsaid thing that this is somewhat of a lost year for the Warriors without any home games to look forward to, uh, obviously under incredible mental pressure without their families and friends. Uh, so I think, to, look, to fire a man that um, the club, and I quote, almost saw as a, a father figure, it, it seems sadistically cruel in a way. And to me, it kind of reeks of... and. Look, I, I'm I'm full well to um, happy to call myself out as wrong if this is not the case, but it does reek of a decision made by a board that uh, actually isn't over here and is still back in New Zealand and can go back to their family and friends each night because this seems kind of um, it, it seems like in a lost year uh, uh, they're in a lost year anyway. So why even make um, it a more jarring a situation for the Warriors? And and look, I'm I'm fully aware as I said at the start they. They do need a new coach, and it does need to be, in my opinion, more of a disciplinarian that can get the club's culture right. But I think that's a decision that comes at the end of the season or, or next year even when they, um, they ha- they're able to go back home and, and reassess a bit. Kieran, uh, he's got some good points there. Would you agree with Miles, or, or do you think that uh, it was the right call to make at this time? Um, I actually don't think it was the right call or the right timing. Um, since taking over from McFadden as Warriors coach, Carney, in 2017, um, he finished 13th in the next year um, with the likes of RTS, Tohu Harris, who had been added to the club. I don't know how much he had to do with those players coming to the club, but I, I do feel that the Warriors were starting to... They finished 8th in 2018, and I feel like they were starting to build... Uh, a team that could could go in the right direction towards another possible premiership tilt. Um, they did finish 13th the next year, just last year, um, uh, and they they got rid of Sean Johnson for that year. But I think getting rid of Sean Johnson was the the correct decision to make, and I assume um, Stephen Carney would have been uh, quite heavily involved in that in that decision. 
Yeah, I, I I like that you brought up the the Sean Johnson sacking, which Stephen Coney would have almost certainly been involved in. That was a decision made on the fact that it wasn't that Sean Johnson was not a good player. Everyone knows that he's a good player, especially on his day. He's maybe a maybe a fair weather traveler, but uh, is he worth a million dollars a year to that football club? No. Is he going to give you a million dollars worth of? Uh, performance week in, week out. No, he's not. We look at guys like Anthony Milford. Can he play football? Yes. Is he worth that much money? No. So they made that decision. They went for someone like Cody Nicarima. Now that is just starting to bear fruit. Cody Nicarima has been one of their better players in the last, uh, so, far, so far in 2020. And he's really settling into that 5'8 role. You've got uh, Blake Green ste- uh, steering the ship around. You've got uh, RTS is one of the better fullbacks in the comp. Uh, they've got good back rowers that he, he brings through young players. It seemed that, as you say, he was building towards something. Um, I'm not entirely sure that he was, it was the right call to sack him. And I, I particularly agree with both of you in the sense that the timing at the very least was incorrect. Uh, Miles, I think you're right when you say that it was made a decision made by people that aren't on the ground floor at the moment. They're not they're not dealing day in, day out with players that miss their their mothers, their their wives, their girlfriends, their their brothers, their kids. Uh, they're not they're not dealing with, with with the reality of their situation. And, and that's not a good enough reason to keep a coach on its own. But the results that he's gotten so far have probably exceeded the expectations you would expect from the Warriors. Maybe not that the Warriors expect from the Warriors, but are they going to be improved by bringing in an interim coach? Like, what do we know about Todd Payton? Uh, he's come through a, some pretty good systems um, as a coach. So maybe he'll be the right person and maybe he'll be their long-term coach. But I tend to agree with you, Miles, that they do need a disciplinarian and I'm looking around the competition and and most of the genuinely good coaches are already coaching. So who is out there that is going to come into this club and, and improve it uh, if Stephen Kearney is not the right man and, and I'll throw open the floor to either of you guys. If, if you can think of someone that is better suited to the role than one of their most legendary players who has coached successfully at the international level. Well, one name that I could think of that might be a shout, although, again, you need to be aware of what you're getting with him, and that might only be a few years, is uh, Andrew Griffin. Um, Sorry, Anthony Griffin. Uh, My apologies. He's well-known as a disciplinarian, and also his act uh, did quickly wear thin at both the Broncos and the Panthers, so you do need to be aware of that. But, look, as far as disciplinarians go, he's about as good as there is. Kieran, uh, have you got any names that come to mind for you? Uh, I like Miles' um, call of Anthony Griffin more than what I was going to say, but if if any Jones is any chance of coming to the NRL, which I I don't <laughs> rate it, but but if he is, I I think that would be a a good shout. Um, we've seen the success he's had uh, in, in the uh, uh, Super Rugby, I think it's called, yeah, um, or at least at international level in rugby union. Um, I think maybe that would be a, an okay idea, but Anthony Griffin, I, I really like that. I think that would be a, probably their best bet. Another name that gets floated around is Nathan Brown, uh, who has some connections to the club. Uh, he, he was involved earlier in the year before COVID hit. Uh, he, has, he is someone that maybe doesn't have a stellar 
coaching record, at least in this country uh, or in this competition. Um, but he is someone that you can attribute a lot of the success the Knights are having at the moment to Nathan Brown, uh, sticking in, buying intelligently. Uh, and that's the kind of thing the Warriors could use as well. So keep an eye out for Nathan Brown. That could be a, that could be a, a little sneak uh, peek at their, at their next coach. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I, it looks like we agree that stacking Stephen Kearney, particularly at this time during COVID-19, was the wrong call. Uh, we're going to take a quick little break. Uh, next up, we have a tribute to the late, great Noel Kelly. We have the, the third question in our quiz. And then we have this week's controversial take, which is the NRL is not ready for expansion. See you soon. Born in 1936, Noel Kelly has passed away, aged 84. Noel Kelly, better known as Ned was a hard man in one of rugby league's toughest and greatest eras. What better place to learn the toughness required to be the best at that time than where he was brought into the world, Goodna, near Ipswich. Quitting school at the age of 12 so he could focus on making a quid, he worked a variety of jobs around southeast Queensland to help his family survive. When his father left, it was up to him and his older brother to carry the family business while he was still a teenager. Between jobs, he'd find time to work on his boxing and play some footy. Hard work, boxing, footy. The cornerstones of his lengthy career were to be found there. His older brother died while Kelly was playing in the Ipswich competition as a hooker. It all could have gone so wrong for Noel at this time just 21 years old. He has said that his time with the Nashos, the National Service, and his wife Chris were what put him on the straight and narrow. His uncompromising style attracted admirers in the Queensland Selection Committee and he joined his Ipswich front row partners in the Queensland squad which upset the more fancied Blues in 1959 before all three of them went on to represent Australia on that year's Kangaroo Tour. After a stint in North Queensland playing in air, Noel Kelly was signed to the Western Suburbs Magpies in 1961, where he was a part of three successive grand final losses, before becoming a captain coach of the Magpies later in the decade. During his nine seasons for West, and also during his regional years, Kelly revolutionised the way hookers played, alongside his Dragons rival, Ian Walsh. Prior to them, a hooker's performance was graded depending on whomever won the most scrums on the day. But Kelly and Walsh ran the ball, and ran it hard. So hard did Kelly run it that he in fact became a prop forward, just so teams could accommodate both he and Walsh at the same time. 13 interstate games for both Queensland and New South Wales, and 28 tests for Australia, Kelly was a decorated player. He is notorious for his rap sheet. He was sent from the field 17 times in top-level football. Some suspect it was even more than that. But he was no thug. Kelly thought deeply about the sport and became a coach for the North Sydney Bears during the 1970s and a media pundit with Channel 7. Those that met him or knew him well will swear he is the kindest man the game has ever produced, a contrast to the reputation he developed during his playing years proud family man who made good from a disadvantaged beginning, 
Kelly was recognized as the hooker in the team of the century when it was named in 2008, controversially beating the likes of Ian Walsh, Sandy Pierce, Ken Carney, and Steve Walters. But perhaps there needn't have been controversy. The stature of the players who didn't make the honorary team only points to the influence of Noel Kelly on our great game. Noel Kelly was a great player, but also a great man. He was an ambassador for the Men of League charity. Full of heart, it was sadly his heart that got the better of him, causing a stroke in mid-May, leading to his death a month later. His legacy lives on with the great work Men of League do, and also the yearly Noel Kelly medal, awarded to the best forward for the West Tigers each year. Our love and condolences to his family during this time. It's time for the final quiz question, and remember, no cheating. Question 3. The late, great Noel Kelly was named Hooker in the Team of the Century in 2008. Who were his front row partners? Stick around right to the end for the answers, and now it's time for this week's controversial take. Welcome back to Above the Horizontal. My name is Bo Nicholson. I'm joined, as always, by Kieran Gibson and Miles Stedman. And we are about to dive into the controversial take, which is the NRL is not ready for expansion. And this was actually uh, my take. Uh, I decided to put on my Miles shoes and and have a controversial (laughs) opinion. Um, And I was watching some uh, some clips from uh, last night's 100% footy on Channel 9 and Peter Valandis, uh was the guest for the entire show and they were talking about expansion and this is a bit of a it's something that does the rounds quite a lot but it's very rare to me that you hear someone as powerful as Peter Valandis come out and give a very clear indication about what the plans are he has said indubitably that if there was to be a 17th team which they are hoping for it is that all current 16 teams would stay in existence as they are and the 17th team would be in brisbane and that's just what he said he doesn't want to put a team out in perth or adelaide or or anywhere that there isn't a strong uh foothold for rugby league and he wants it to be in queensland because he wants to strengthen state of origin which is the centerpiece of rugby league and its most profitable venture so he's looking at it from the angle of being a business person and i do understand the need for expansion as a business person what i don't believe exists is the depth of talent required to have 17 teams in the nrl when you already have teams like the warriors the the titans the bulldogs that are consistently fielding at least half of their team full of reserve grade standard players i i just don't see how an extra team uh improves the competition miles the nrl is not ready for expansion do you agree look Funnily enough, I used to agree. Uh, since the Gold Coast came into the league, I've, I've thought it, that the league's not been ready probably for any more expansion up until maybe the start of this year or, or late last year uh, due to a weak talent pool, as you said, um, as well as also the terrible leadership of the game in the past, probably not being able to 
execute such a plan, which, you know, obviously you don't want any half-cocked plan. You want it done well and you want it done right. But, look, I think that as much as I, I personally dislike Peter Vlandis, uh, he has shown himself to be uh, excellent at his job and a, a very good leader. And he kind of, in the way that, you know, he sort of forced through this return when probably no one thought he could. And, look, I'm beginning to think that maybe um, or start to think, if not now, then when? Because I don't think there'll ever be a perfect time to say, yes, we need to expand right now. Uh, I don't think 2006 even was the, the perfect time to expand, but they did. And, look, it's you know, juries might still be out on that, but I think it still needed to happen. Um, and look, I, I think we all need to accept that it's an unlikely that the first few years of this new club will probably be pretty. The, the Gold Coast, it wasn't ugly, but it certainly wasn't pretty either. Um, but I, I do think that the, the positives of needing another team in Brisbane or, or maybe even Wellington, I think, in reinforcing that rugby league heartland and maybe not reinforcing state of origin because I don't see how that's going to happen. But I, I think it does need to happen. Um, I think uh, it, it can even grow the talent pool by adding them more opportunities. Um, and I think that it's it's something that needs to happen in the next few years. Kieran, when we spoke off air about this, uh, you seemed to be on my side of this argument that the NRL is not ready for expansion. Hearing Miles's argument there, uh, would you say that you are still on the opinion that the NRL is not ready for expansion, or are you starting to soften to Miles' side? Um, I'm still on the side, on your side, uh, and the side that the NRL shouldn't expand. But I think, as Miles said, if they're going to do it, and it sounds like they definitely will, they may as well do it now. Um, I would actually, I'd rather see the under-20s comp um, that was scrapped in 2017 come back. Um, because as Miles said, um, uh, if the comp expands, the NRL expands, it would give more players and youngsters um, the chance to, to shine for their respective club. But if the, the under-20s um, competition, I thought that that was well run and uh, gave youngsters the chance to regularly run out and uh, show what, how good they were um, and get the chance to play NRL. Yeah, I would prefer that under-20s comp to come back in, st- in place of another team. And the notion that um, state of origin, it would make it more competitive, that's possibly true, but I still think origin... I mean, New South Wales have, yes, won two years in a row. Um, I still disagree with the Landys a little bit there, if that's a... a, a a big reason in him deciding to put another team in the NRL. Yeah, he was saying that uh, that New South Wales obviously have a lot more of a talent pool to choose from, and like realistically, apart from that freakish era that Queensland had, you could pick New South Wales's Origin team and Queensland's Origin team, and New South Wales will always look better on paper. Like they always will. It's something about just the amount of talent they have to choose from, and the idea of having extra teams in Queensland is that yes you have more opportunities for young players and all that sort of thing to 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 make their mark and then once they get to NRL level you never know how they're going to go look at Harry Grant for the Tigers um, who would have known that he would be as dynamic as he is uh, if he was still running around the Queensland Cup but I, I tend to agree with you Kieran in that it seems like uh, like miles you said like when is the right time like when will be perfect and and that's probably a good point in a, a lot of facets of life I, I think a better time would be when we actually have better pathways for our players it seems to me like there's a lot of clubs that rely on other 
systems developing talent to an NRL standard and then poaching them instead of actually doing the hard yards themselves. So I look at uh, the Titans. Now, the Gold Coast region is rich, full of talent. Um, that's It's pretty well highly regarded in this, in this part of the world, in Southeast Queensland. But that talent is not getting to NRL level at a standard that is acceptable. Why is that? What's happening between the kids being like 15 and talented and 20 and can't handle it? right? What is that pathway? Does the national youth competition have to come back? I think so. I think that's a good call. Uh, but do, do we have to have some better incentives for clubs to actually develop their own talent? Uh, Phil Gould has talked about this at length, and, and I think that's because the Panthers are a development club, and they're very strong in that area. So he wants to see some compensation for when the Panthers develop NRL standard players and then lose them to clubs that, pl- that pay overs and they don't reap the benefits of developing those players because there is no, hey, look, 10% goes to the junior club and 10% goes to the club that signed them when they were 15. It's just the, p- the player gets it. The player gets 100%. Uh, that's probably not how it should work. Uh, and you're not going to get clubs that are interested in developing talent, which would create a talent pool big enough to have 17 or 18 teams if you don't focus on development first, if they don't focus on future investment. Um, so I, I just, I would love to see 20 teams and I'd love to see 20 teams full of NRL standard players, but I just don't think we're there yet. Uh, but I think I know better than to try and change your mind, Miles. <laughs> well, look, I'm actually really glad that you both, uh, Kieran, first but then you adding to it Bo, brought up that talent pathways um discussion and look phil gould can get on his soapbox all he wants about the panthers he was obviously the boss of the team for however long it was but i totally agree with both of you in that the pathways have been failing this game for a very long time um first with this sort of half-baked nyc competition which i think there needed to be more work put into and they scrapped it ultimately because um maybe they thought that was too hard but then they kind of went with this sort of set and forget model of the state leagues where they kind of thought, ah, you know, Newtown, North Sydney, people like those clubs. Um, that'll make the league strong enough to be a good pathway. Well, that's not the case. Um, it might be the case in, in Western Sydney and and maybe in Southern Sydney you know, as the Gold Coast, as you say, but it's not good enough. It's um, maybe good as a third or four, even fourth tier competition, but I think failing at an NYC, a national youth competition, there needs to be a national second league or second division, if you will. Um, whether that is the current clubs with their own, you know, sort of reserves teams all playing each other each week, like the AFL model used to have, mm-hmm. or whether it's a combined um, Southeast Queensland, Sydney sort of second league, I, I think that needs to happen. There needs to be a clear way up outside of this sort of um, two state leagues model. And to add on to what you said a bit more there, Bo, I think that it's, um, you, you know, if you're asking me why is the is the, the model failing the NRL, because you have two distinct classes of teams. One where, as you say, the, the uh, teams themselves are producing and putting the work into the players, and the other where they're just looking at the players as the finished product and saying, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him. I think the fact that, that is the uh, tried, tested, and even somewhat proven model for some NRL teams is a disgrace. I think there needs to be a good mix from both teams. And look, yes, you're never going to have that uh, awesome local talent pool 
in you know in Melbourne for the storm or, or something like that. But I think there needs to still be a far more even balance than there is right now between the um, say the storms of the, the league, even somewhat the warriors of the league in that massive talent pool still cherry picking the best talent from Australia. There needs to be a better mix between the clubs. Hundred percent. I uh, you've almost swayed me. Just <laughs> <laughs> I came into this pretty hardcore, but uh, look, I, I do still think that uh, expansion is a bit premature. But what I have learned is that Peter Volandis, and I know that Kieran, you're a, you're a fan. Uh, he, gave, he won your Aaron Woods Award in round three or four, I believe. Uh, Peter Volandis seems like a guy that's making good decisions for rugby league, and he seems like a, a smart and intelligent leader. So, uh, who am I to argue with him? Well, maybe I'm just nobody from Brisbane. Uh, but... Oh, hail the king. <laughs> oh, hail, hail the great man. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm not swayed, but uh, it looks like I'm going to find out soon enough because it looks like it's all systems go. As long as uh, a Brisbane conglomerate can come up with a good business plan, he, he sounds like he's ready to, to do a deal. So uh, time will tell on that. But gentlemen, let's move on to our tips for round seven as we draw to the end of this show. Kieran, if you could start us off with our Thursday night game, which is between the Panthers and the Rabbitohs. Yeah, um, so the Panthers and Rabbitohs are both coming off quite impressive wins. I beat the Rabbitohs um, against a bit of a lesser opposition, but this matchup just looks primed to be one of the games of the round. Um, the Panthers can now rely on Cleary to steer them around the park. Um, I reckon I can say just about on a consistent week-to-week basis um, however, I believe the Raptors' spine is just clicking into gear at the moment, and they'll probably go up another level in a in Thursday night footy, which should be a, a doozy of a game. Um, I've got the Raptors just edging this one. Yeah, look for exactly the same reasons. Uh, I think the Raptors' spine is is looking really, really great. So I'm going to go with them as well. What do you think, Miles? Wow, that's quite surprising. I've I've gone the Panthers here for that same reason. In the um, Raptors' spine certainly clicking. Panthers spine already has clicked. Well, there you go. Uh, who, who do you have for <laughs> <laughs> who do you have for the Friday afternoon game between the Storm and the Warriors? Look, I've um, you've got what is this game? You've got a, a team uh, coached by Craig Bellamy coming off uh, what I think they would probably call a, a shockingly bad loss by their standards uh, up against a team which has just lost their, as we said, their father figure, their safety blanket, and his. Um, Competing against, uh, I guess, every adversity imaginable, almost. Um, for, for me, this one's easy, the, the easiest tip of the year or, or the greatest win in NRL history, I think. Um, this is the storm for me pretty easily. <laughs> that sounds like famous <laughs> last words to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm far oh, from well. I'm far from dipping the Warriors in this one, but that sounds like like we're just inviting pain, doesn't it? <laughs> Look, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see the upset. Kieran, uh, I, I trust you're going to go for the Storm on this one? Yes, yes. Uh, no upset this week, or at least not in this game. <laughs> yeah, well, you watch it happen. You watch it happen. Uh, I've, got the Roosters, <laughs> I've got the Roosters and the Dragons on Friday night. The Roosters uh, might lose James Tedesco to concussion. He has been named. Uh, but if they do lose him, it would force them to use Brett Morris at fullback. Now, that... Uh, is not a bad thing for them. In the last 100 minutes of Morris playing fullback, they've scored 75 points and conceded zero. The Dragons have lost James Graham as he heads back to England, and Jordan Pereira, who 
is suspended, which gives Jacob Saab an opportunity, finally. It'll be good to see him playing. Uh, look, Roosters, for me, it's very hard to tip against them. Uh, Miles, who you got? Same reason. Too hard to tip against the Roosters here. Kieran? Yeah, Roosters are red hot. All right. I've, I've given you the tough job of uh, talking about our Cowboys, Kieran. The Cowboys versus the Knights <laughs> on Saturday afternoon. Um, well, the Cowboys are back at home, and they actually get to play in front of a, a crowd of 2,000, um, only to members and corporate, but that's definitely uh, whatever difference that, that could possibly make. It's not going to be enough. Um, <laughs> Bradman Best, actually, he's been ruled out because he visited his, his parents on the weekend, so he's been told he has to um, self-isolate. That news just came through uh, later this afternoon. Mm. Um but on the players that are actually competing in the game, I have Mann as a, a much improved 5'8", uh, especially since the resumption um, after the competition halted due to COVID-19. And I think just about the Knights' entire forward pack is producing career best footy. Um, the Cowboys, meanwhile, are evidently um, a, a side with uh, a lot of lacking a lot of quality depth and even accountability um, without having to worry about that depth um we just like the spirit to stay in the game uh and the knights yeah they're they're absolutely winning this game there's no beware of the the wounded animal i don't think um the <laughs> cowboys have have consistently shown um that they 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 talk um up a good game but they yeah i'd, I'd i'm a bit lost for words for it um they might be in it for 20 30 minutes but the the knights will will, will pull away and uh win by at least 12 it pains me to agree with you, mate. I'm going for the Knights as well. Uh, Miles, three from three. Yeah, look, it's the Knights for me. I think if they had have put in last week's performance against the Knights this week, it might very well be 50 nil at halftime. <laughs> you'd, you'd hate to see it. Please don't. Please don't put that into the universe. <laughs> like, no, like no, I, laughter in shoes. I would be, I would be like, it would be like curb your enthusiasm music at the end of it, wouldn't it? At the end of halftime as they walk <laughs> off, bom bom bom. Okay, Miles, you have our next game, which is uh, the clash of the mighty Southeast Queensland teams, the Broncos and the Gold Coast Titans. Look, this is actually a, a difficult one to tip. Um, the Broncos haven't been great for sure, and I was certainly tempted to tip the Titans, but look, they've just not shown enough against some. What I think has been otherwise ordinary opportunity the past few weeks, opposition rather, sorry. Um, the further we get away from it, the Tigers game looks more and more like a, a flash in the pan or an anomaly. So um, add into that the Titans, poor Suncorp Stadium record, and it's, it's going to be the Broncos for me. Uh, yeah, I think the Broncos just have more talented players. I, I do like a move that Anthony Sivold has made on the, on the sly here. He's swapped uh, Tessie Neu uh, to fullback and drops Jermaine Asako to the bench. I, I don't think Jermaine Asako is a fullback, so that, uh, that looks a good move. I'm going to go for the Broncos. Kieran? Yeah, I've got the Broncos, and I love that that move as well of uh, Tessie Newell back to fullback. And I also really like that uh, Herbie Farnworth's been given uh, game time now. There's a few the Roosters actually have been um, spoken about as being after him, so uh, it's great to see him get game time. And I think he's definitely NRL quality. The Broncos to win. Yeah, they've got a they've got a pretty hot backline really once they uh, once they get rid of Darius Boyd. Um, who yeah, looks- Jack Bird. Yeah, absolutely. Like one, he just looks past it, Darius. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll be able to replace him shortly. I've got the 
final game on Saturday, which is the Parramatta Eels versus the Canberra Raiders. Uh, look, after comfortably dealing with the Storm in round three, the Raiders, I feel like they've dropped away pretty badly. Uh, the Eels were impressive in defeat against the Roosters, and with both teams largely unchanged, the form guide would probably suggest the Eels should win this one. Uh, but I don't know. Like For the Raiders to win, uh, they'll need Jack Whiten uh, to vary his game significantly. He likes to run first, which is usually good in his strength, but Ryan Madison on that right edge will eat him alive. What he needs to identify is that Blake Ferguson often likes to jam in and make that big hit on, say, Nickel Klockstad or Jared Croker on those block plays. Whiten could benefit from a couple of kicks in behind Ferguson early, uh, meaning that he might be more flat-footed later in the game when Whiten decides to feed Croker some early ball. Uh, look, I think Whiten's up to it, and if he if he if Ricky Stewart can identify that and help Whiten to access those tactics, I reckon the Raiders have got it. So I'm going to go with the Raiders. Uh, Miles, who you got for this one? I've said this a few times now in this podcast, but. For those same reasons, I'm I'm going for the Eels. You, you kind of pick the Raiders apart a bit easily for me there, and, and teams have been lately, so I worry they might get a bit predictable. So I'm going with the Eels here. All right. And and Kieran, bit of bounce back yeah, for the Eels? If the Eels... Yeah, yeah. I think if the Eels can match their intensity that they they had against the Roosters, I think it'll uh, it'd be a win for them for sure. All right. You've got the, uh, the first Sunday game, which is the Seagulls and the Sharks. Um, so yeah, obviously the the Sea Eagles are depleted um, for this game, but uh, they they had that ultra impressive win last week against the Raiders, and um, yeah, Sirinen he's still there. He's still, I mean, he came up with that big hit. He's in career best form and always improving. You've you've still got a quality side, um, and despite the Sharks playing well last week, I really liked how um, Chad Townsend led the team around. Sean Johnson was better. Um, I still have a lot of doubts about the Sharks, uh, especially their backline. Um, I think I read Matt Moylan should move into the halves with Chad Townsend, which I kind of like, but at the same time, that's weakening their their fullback position. So maybe it's best to have Moylan at fullback, and then you have Townsend and um, Johnson in the halves. But I, I don't think it matters. I think the Sea Eagles win this one. Look, and that's a big call, uh, considering that the Seagulls have, uh, you know, a, a lot of players out at the moment, but they, they do have uh, Sully and Tapao coming back in. So, uh, look, I just, I love the Seagulls this year. I think they're a great team. So that's who I'm going for this uh, in this particular game. Uh, Miles, who you got for this one? I've got the Seagulls too. All right, if you can take us to the last game, which is the Bulldogs versus the Tigers. Yeah, look, the, the Bulldogs have certainly shown... Uh, some compete past few weeks, and they could certainly easily win this one. This is a difficult one for me to tip as well, but I think the Tigers look to be the more professional of the two at this stage, I think. Um, certainly wouldn't be surprised if they weren't on this occasion, and I'm, I'm not convinced at all by either team, but I'm tentatively putting my faith in the, the more promising of the two teams here, and for what it's worth, it's I think it's out at Campbelltown as well, so that's a, one of the Tigers' home grounds. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate for the Bulldogs the way that sort of worked out. Uh, I, I'm i going to go for the Tigers as well. I think they've got more talent uh, in their team. Uh, I'm a big Kieran Foran fan. I'm a big Will Hoppawati fan. Um, but I do actually think that Thursday's uh, board meeting uh, for the Bulldogs is going to influence this result. Uh, I've got a bad feeling for Dean Pay, uh, And if that is the case, 
uh, I feel like the players could be a bit disheartened uh, after that result. If it's a good result for Dean Pay, and they say that the, the he has the full support, that actually means Dick All as well. So um, I, can't, I can't see it going <laughs> too. I can't see it going too well for the Bulldogs this time. Uh, Kieran, do you have a bit more hope for the Bulldogs, or are you a Tigers man as well? Yeah, I'm a I'm a Tigers man. I for this game at least, I think um, the Bulldogs, whilst they're they're good in in patches, um, they can't stick it together for 80 minutes. And um, you had, oh, I can't remember, but the back row for the Bulldogs grubbering for the Bulldogs' first try against the Sharks. I just don't think, despite the the fact they have Kieran Four, and I don't think they have enough quality in, in their halves to to really um, generate points. And, and the Tigers do have that quality quality, or at least better quality, to to generate points. I've got the Tigers winning. Yeah, look, that's a fair call. And the back row you were talking about was uh, Adam Elliott. It was actually quite a nice touch. Yes. Uh, um, okay, bold predictions, gentlemen. Uh, let's gear up, see if we can beat Kieran this time, Miles. We've, we've got a bit of pressure on <laughs> he's, he's beaten us two weeks in a row, two from two. Uh, I've got a doozy for you. Uh, complimenting my, my assessment of the Eels and Raiders game, where I think Blake Ferguson will jam in and it's going to be up to Jack White and to defeat that. I feel like come the second half, Black, Blake Ferguson will be a little bit flat-footed after Whiten has thrown a few more uh, like varied attacking responses at him. And I think Jordan Rapiner is going to score two tries in the second half against the Eels. That's my bold prediction for the week. Wow. Uh, yes, uh, that's uh, exactly. If it's two tries for the game that they scored in the first half, I am incorrect. <laughs> it has to be in the second half. <laughs> Uh, so, Very brave. Yeah. Oh, look, thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> for, for that compliment. Miles, you can go next. Oh, well, um, look, I, uh, as much as I hate to say it, I think um, this is going to be a week where we don't have any, at least on paper, upsets. So I'm going for, in contrast to Kieran's last week's uh, winning prediction, I'm going for zero upsets this week. Zero upsets. Oh. Well, that's uh, that's bad news for the Cowboys, Kieran. Uh, what's what's, uh, what's your bold prediction, mate? Uh, I've got. I've, I'm going to say what I believe are the two toughest fixtures of the round. Um, I'm predicting the Rabbitohs to beat the Panthers and the Eels to beat the Raiders. All right, all right. So that's how, that's how it's done, Miles. That's how it's done. Be <laughs> be vague. Just <laughs> be vague and 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 just. Like, you know, pretend you're going for the upset when it's the Rabbitohs and the Eels you're backing in. <laughs> so brave. That's, that's true. So he's, brave. he's very good at this, isn't he? He's very good at this. He's, I think he's worked out a system that defeats us. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. It's, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, enjoy your football watching. I'm not even going to say go Cowboys this week. I just can't, I just can't say it. It's too hard after watching them last week. I'm, I'm sorry. I do, I do still hope the Cowboys do well, but that would prove me wrong, and I hate being proven wrong. So go the Knights, <laughs> I say. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks gentlemen. Go Cowboys. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Your regular panellists are Miles Stedman and Kieran Gibson. Our theme song is Tough Nut by Ryan Cross. I'm Bo Nicholson. Hey there. Thanks for sticking around right to the end of the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. 
you've earned yourself some answers to the quiz questions. Question one. Which club won the very first NSWRL Premiership way back in 1908? The answer is, of course, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Question two. James Tedesco was the winger in the West Magpies Harold Matthews team in his junior years. Which current West Tiger was the fullback? He spent a little bit of time at fullback for the Tigers over the years. It's David Norfoluma. Well done if you got that one right. And question three. The late great Noel Kelly was named hooker in the team of the century in 2008. Who were his front row partners? The answer were fellow Queenslanders Arthur Beetson and Duncan Hall. Thanks for listening.